This Scientific American podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, your source for audiobooks and more. Audible.com features more than 100,000 titles, including science books like Bad Pharma, How Drug Companies Mislead Doctors and Harm Patients by Ben Goldacre, and new sci-fi like Extinction by Mark Albert. Right now, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook and a one-month trial membership to the Scientific American audience. For details, go to audible.com slash Siam, S-C-I-A-M. Welcome to the Scientific American Podcast, Science Talk, posted on February 28th, 2013. I'm Steve Mursky. Fidel Castro uh, got very annoyed at the idea that we might be doing something like trying to steer hurricanes because he was worried we were going to use them as an incredible weapon for, for devastating Cuba. And that's our old friend John Rennie, the former editor-in-chief of Scientific American, is coming to your living room on the small screen starting tonight. We talked about his latest project in his Manhattan apartment. The jingling and panting you might hear, that's not us. John's two dogs were in the room and were for the most part exceptionally well behaved. But you can hear a little bit of... (laughs) We spoke on February 21st. So, John. Yes, Steve. Hello. Tell everybody about your new television show. You are on Twitter... At TVJ Rennie. That's right. And it is now actually... <laughs> it's official. It's I official. Am, I am now, in fact, TV's John Rennie. Hello. That's right. Yes. So, um, starting on February 28th, I will be debuting as the, uh, the host of a new series on the Weather Channel called Hacking the Planet. And this is a series in which uh, each week, um, the format is I, I we take a look at uh, some one of the some kind of big natural threat, things like hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes and the like, and uh, I, I, I explore what we understand the science of how these things work and and where they come from and and how they stop, and then we we figure out well how could we use this knowledge to our advantage. So some of the, the kinds of questions that uh, that look into are, for example, the, the bigger end of things, questions like, well, would it be possible for us to do something like, you know, stop a hurricane or steer it so that it would hit a, a less vulnerable part of the coast? Uh, but even in some cases, uh, short of, of that sort of thing, there are fascinating questions about whether or not we can uh, use this knowledge to improve our prediction of uh, Things like earthquakes and uh, whether or not we can, you know, find ways to be able to sometimes use some of these phenomena to our advantage. So things about like with volcanoes of uh, being able to, to use those to, you know, for geothermal energy, that sort of thing. So did they drop you into a volcano? I know they took. You've been all over the place. I, I have, in fact, been all over the place. I, uh, I've, uh, I, I can't even. I should have added up the mileage on this. Um, but uh, yes, uh, definitely uh, been you know out to Hawaii and Iceland and over to Switzerland and uh, uh, up into to Canada for part of this. What were just you doing? All of the U.S. It, what were you doing in Iceland? Uh, in Iceland, well, Iceland, of course, is is a, a highly volcanic. Uh, you know, big island. Um, Iceland owes its very existence to volcanism and the, you know, the, the gigantic volcanic forces that are organized around that mid-Atlantic rift. Uh, so I was there, um, taking a look at, uh, not so much the, the volcanoes that were there, but a lot of the other sort of geology and in particular the ways that uh, they've been, they've been using the geological formations that are related to why they have so many volcanoes and why Iceland is, you know, a, a leading place in the world for, uh, uh, for geothermal energy and how they're using that. And Sweden? 
Uh, so I didn't get to Sweden. Uh, Switzerland. 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 I was in Switzerland because there, um, some laboratories doing a lot of work uh, for a couple of different things, but um, uh, on lightning. In particular, for example, a work being done at the University of Geneva, uh, Geneva, um, not Geneva, uh, <laughs> not anymore, not anymore. No, I've ruined that. But, uh, the Un- University of Geneva, uh, research that's being done on, uh, uh, sort of an amazing idea for being able to use lasers, uh, lasers that would be directed shot up into the sky into uh, storm formations that might have a lot of electrical activity, basically creating a plasma channel to help guide the lightning down to a spot where you want it to hit so that it's not just randomly hitting someplace else. And Hawaii, you were there for... Volcanoes again. Uh Uh, Lots of stuff going over there. So, right, they're, uh, you know, some of the, the most active volcanoes in the world to be found there in uh, in Hawaii. I, I did not actually get uh, thrown into a volcano uh, at that time. I know. Well, you're not a virgin. Well, not currently. Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so I did, however, get a good, great opportunity to fly over the volcanoes as part of this uh, great uh, ongoing uh, NASA study uh, where they are monitoring the deformation of the ground over the entire big island of Hawaii with the idea of being able to measure minute changes in the ground, which may be really big clues to how uh, the volcanoes are becoming more active or less active. Um, that's the kind of information that might uh, ultimately be very important for developing a better sense of when volcanoes are going to erupt. So which volcano did you fly over? Uh, we were all of them. All of them. Uh, I was, <laughs> the big island of Hawaii um, is uh, you know not so gigantic in the big scheme of things, but uh, I spent more than six and a half hours in this flight, uh, basically uh, flying in these passes over it in a, a particular Searching. Basically, I took the equivalent of another transatlantic uh, trip over the big island of Hawaii. And it's an active volcano. Uh, well, that's right. You know, that's right. You have, uh, you have, uh, uh, well, let's see, uh, Mauna Kea, but also um, Kilauea. Uh, and, uh, and also you're flying over, you know, Mauna Loa, which is currently not active. But, uh, but when you're flying over the active ones and you look down, uh, do you see, are they... Are they uh, radiating? Uh, well, so you know, well, you know, the interesting thing about that is, uh, in, in theory, in places you, you you might be able to. Of course, the tricky thing is that if you're flying over over an uh, an active volcano, um, there's usually no small amount of steam and ash and other things coming out. So there's often a lot of clouds. So it's actually kind of hard to look down into it and and see that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 an amazing thing to see. And they sent you to Florida. Uh, yes, lots going on down in Florida, lots of things related to hurricanes, which is, of course, one of the, the, the big things that we were focused on there. Um, there's been an enormous amount of work, obviously, on studying hurricanes and uh, trying to figure out better ways to to protect against them, uh, but also uh, a, a surprising amount of work going back into, I believe, the, uh, the 50s uh, for when people uh, and the U.S. government, for example, uh, studying like whether or not it might be possible to to steer a, a hurricane or be able to stop one. So how's that going? Well, um, the fact is that, that there are actually a surprisingly large number of ideas around there. I mean, this this was a, an active 
project uh, called a Project Storm Fury for the U.S. government back during the, the 50s and the 60s. They actually, I mean, the military was very, very interested in this uh, for for some time. And it was, a, it was an interesting episode because that whole activity, it shows a lot of the the problems that can sometimes come up from even just saying that you're going to uh, explore some of these things. So uh, one thing, for example, is that, as you might imagine, uh, Fidel Castro uh, got very annoyed at the idea that we might be doing something like trying to steer hurricanes because he was worried we were going to use them as you know, as a weapon, an incredible weapon for for devastating Cuba. Uh, so he was convinced that's what we were trying to do. Um, but even in the U.S., there were some people who got very concerned that uh, that there were a few hurricanes that uh, around that time that took some sort of odd twists. There were ones that, one that was moving up the coast and then seemed to go out to sea, and then sort of somewhat bizarrely it turned around and came back in toward the shore again. This kind of thing occasionally happens, but it's it's not very common. And there were people who were convinced that this was the result of uh, of U.S. government activities that they had either you know tampering with this hurricane or that they had managed to mess up hurricanes in general there are a lot of conspiracy theories going on around there concerned with uh, affecting the weather as you might imagine boy if we could actually do the things that some people think we can do <laughs> yeah it's uh, it's kind of interesting i mean in what as i said this was back during you know the 50s and the 60s at this point, the science of studying hurricanes, for example, we know a lot more about them now than we ever used to. We have a lot more tools for this. We have, uh, you know, we were able to study them with satellites. We also have like different sorts of uh, unmanned drones that we can, you know, fly over those. Actually, was uh, another place that I went for this was actually down to uh, Wallops Island uh, on the Virginia coast where NASA has a flight facility and they deploy uh, some of these same same kinds of drones, ones that were developed originally uh, for flying out over Afghanistan, uh, uh, they send them out across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, fly above uh, imminent storms forming out around like the Canary Islands. So they can really start to get a sense of how do hurricanes form and how do they get launched into the trajectories that they follow. So we have a much better understanding of things like hurricanes now than we ever used to. And in retrospect, it's really clear that, uh, you know, anything that could have been brought to bear on the problem back in the, in the 50s and the 60s, there was no chance that we would have been able to affect that. Uh, even today, you know, we really don't have the technology to be able to do anything very much with that. It's just very interesting to see that there are a number of interesting ideas that people uh, have on the table and actually are trying to develop. Uh, and granted, you know, you're probably not going to wake up anytime too soon finding that people have suddenly developed the ability to uh, to affect something like like a hurricane. Um, but it's you know not inconceivable that at some point you know, quite a ways out, we might actually have a technology capable of doing something like that. What's the theory behind moving a hurricane? Well, I mean, as you imagine, it's it's all leveraged against a lot of different uh, big assumptions about how much you would be able to understand and predict about a lot of these. So it, it is definitely, we're talking about some fairly far out science in terms of being able to make it all work. Um, and But it's partly a matter of just the scale. The thing about a hurricane is, of course, it's gigantic uh, and it moves fairly quickly and you don't always know exactly where it's going to go anyway. Um, but there are several different ways that you can 
think of trying to influence them. So, for example, a big part of what drives a hurricane is, is the fact that you've got a lot of warm water near the surface of the ocean that is transferring heat into the air, and that's what's moving up, and that is, is a big part of, of then what's propelling the entire bigger storm system. So, in theory, if you could manage to lower the temperature of the surface of the ocean ahead of a hurricane by a few degrees, you could conceivably uh, pull enough heat out of the system that the storm would start to wind itself down. Um, those are very big ifs, of course, uh, but there are ways that people have looked at the question of what, you know, theoretically, what might you be able to do about that? And so there are different ways of doing that. There are also kinds of things that you could do uh, by trying to influence the atmosphere, too. You could try to attack it from that angle. Um, different ways of, of, again, trying to uh, affect the balance of, of heat and the, the movements of these big columns of air around that way. What's interesting, though, is that there have also been a lot of ideas that get uh, floated, for example... Couldn't we do it to like, you know, what if we just set off a, a nuclear bomb inside a, a hurricane? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be good? Couldn't we just sort of disrupt the storm system that way? That's kind of, as you'd imagine, one of the big ideas that immediately comes up anytime people think about this. And, uh, right. if, let's, let's have radioactive rain falling sure. over hundreds and hundreds of miles. What, what could possibly be wrong with that idea? <laughs> right. But um, but even beyond that as a little tiny hitch in the whole problem, um, the fact is it's kind of surprising. It's not actually enough power. Mm -hmm. You could, in fact, uh, you know, you could set off, you could drop nuclear weapons inside a hurricane. A hurricane is going to just go right through it. The the it's partly a matter of just sort of the 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 magnitude of the forces, but also the the scale of time over which some of these are acting. You know, the explosion of a nuclear weapon happens in literally a flash. Uh, the the rate at which the energy is being expended, the sort of cycle of power that's working through a hurricane is longer. So, quite frankly, it just would come and go too quickly. And where else did they send you? Somewhere else in Europe? Uh, let's see. No place else in Europe. Um, I was a lot of different places. I was I was in a number of different places, actually, also just within the, the U.S. itself. Um, uh, there's a lot of weather-related research that actually happens to be going on uh, in Colorado, because, of course, you have number of big research facilities that are out there. So a uh, number of times I found myself back out around the uh, uh, Denver uh, Boulder area talking to a lot of researchers out there who've been involved with things. Uh, I even, even had, a, had reasons to, uh, and this is the tough part of the job, uh, to be going to uh, Vail, Colorado and uh, and, and Telluride um, around ski time, uh, ski season, uh, because in that case we were looking at um, you know kind, another kind of, of weather manipulation we all hear about, cloud seeding, uh, and, and the, the question of whether or not you can uh, actually create precipitation on demand. Uh, and, and it's actually, that's the kind of thing that actually was fascinating to get into, just to find out, because I think we, you know, we've all heard about cloud seeding. I mean, it's been, people have been trying to do cloud seeding for, you know, decades, more than 50, 60 years at this point. Um, What's interesting is the extent to which some of this stuff is still kind of science on the edge. You would, you might think that they would have a better understanding of, of whether or not it really works. Um, 
but it's actually hard to prove sometimes. Just the, the, the question of how do you how do you prove that seeding a cloud system made it rain more is kind of tricky because you have to be able to prove that it would have rained more or less than it would have if you'd left it alone, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of a tricky problem. But again, it's one that people actually are working on now. So we, we're, we might really be right on the brink of finally coming up with some, some good hard answers about whether or not something like that works. And that's not a frivolous question. Uh, because, you know, we think a lot about things like, uh, uh, cloud seeding, obviously, for the sake of farmers who, you know, they may want to be trying to, to get more rain for their crops. Um, there's a lot of similar kind of cloud seeding that is done around these ski areas because obviously they, they want to try to have a, a more snowfall to improve skiing conditions. Now, maybe that does sound kind of frivolous at first, but remember, if, uh, influencing snowfall has a very big influence down the line on the entire water table in parts of the West. And so as we you know, get into the centuries, we're looking at more uh, uh, climate change and potentially big disruptions of what have been lost uh, of the past weather systems. We might really want to be prepared to try to figure out whether or not we can can or need to do things to, to try to make sure that we're getting as much precipitation and therefore fresh water uh, falling down in, into parts of the West or other areas that may be exposed to very serious drought otherwise. Right, because that snow melts and that right. feeds the rivers and that takes the water, the fresh water, mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away where it winds up in places like Los Angeles and Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. That's right. Which, which otherwise would really... Be up the creek, if you will. Yeah, and there and there are very serious issues uh, about about looking into the future about this. About you know, possibility a lot of parts of the the southwestern western United States, in particular, uh, could really be faced with some very severe drought conditions uh, if the climate starts to change the way is sometimes feared. Uh, so you know, these could be important technologies uh, for a lot of reasons. I'm a little disappointed that. Um... They didn't dangle you inside of an active volcano. They didn't send you out like, you know, uh, Jim Cantore into the teeth of a hurricane standing out on the, on the beach. Well, uh, you, you know, you'll be, you'll be thrilled to know that the producers did everything they could to uh, basically try to risk my life. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I, I stand correct. Yeah, no. I, I mean, as I understand it, they and my wife both took out really big insurance policies ahead of time. So uh, uh, over the course of the series, you'll get a chance to uh, see me in, in a few somewhat uh, dodgy situations of one sort or another. I certainly was inside the simulators for a number of different things. Uh, hurricane simulators, tornado simulators. Um, yeah, it's uh, I, 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 I take a few shots along the way. But the entire series has been filmed already. Uh, at the moment, for the first, yeah, that's the right, first the, the six, the six episodes that constitute this, uh, this first season, those are, are, have all been shot at this point. There's actually some other, uh, work that we're still doing on, on another special related to tornadoes. And I say we in this case, uh, it's, uh, myself and the, the, the producers at Castle Pictures who are, are behind this, but also the, the other, uh, two people who appear in this show with me, um, who, uh, they, they are a, a sort of a sounding board for me as I'm making my travels at this 
this point. I check in periodically uh, with uh, other uh, science writers. One of them is uh, the science comedian Brian Mallow, um, uh, and uh, and then another is uh, Cara Santa Maria, who uh, writes uh, the uh, the talk nerdy to me column for uh, the Huffington Post. Okay. And uh, so six episodes. Right. Beginning on February 28th. That's right. So and Thursday. They, each one airs on Thursday, but they're in heavy rotation. You can find them on the Weather Channel right. at three in the morning every night until the next Entirely episode. Entirely possible. I would recommend that people who are interested in watching the show and you know you are people of America. Uh, by all means, uh, you know, check your check your listings for uh, when this will be on. So you'll have a lot of good opportunities. Uh, and in fact, I think on our uh, first uh, night, um, at, I believe uh, 9 p.m. Um, Eastern time, we'll actually I and Kara and Brian will will all be on Facebook on the Hacking the Planet Facebook page, uh, chatting with anybody who wants to drop by and talk to us about the series. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out the article on environmental concerns about connecting the Red Sea to the Dead Sea, which could revive the old axiom, better dead than red. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet whenever a new article hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. Thank you.